tossing and turning all night like a salad, it's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Getting started in sobriety is hard. We worry if this means that the fun is over forever, if we have to label ourselves, if people will judge us, if they'll stop inviting us to things, how we'll fill up our time, and if we can even make it through. In this special episode, I'm joined by Amanda White from the Recovered-ish podcast, Casey Davidson from the Hello Someday podcast, and Suzanne Werei from the Sober Mom Life podcast, where we discuss our experience with taking breaks or doing sober month-long challenges, how we got accountability in the beginning, what prevented us from realizing that we needed to quit drinking for good, what helped us the most when we first stopped drinking, and our advice for anyone who is getting started right now. 
If you'd like to connect with any of these lovely ladies or listen to their podcast, info for that will be in the show notes. And let's get to the episode. October, everybody. I'm really excited that we're doing this collab. Um, so welcome to Suzanne, Amanda, and Casey. Thank you guys for doing this with me today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Me too. Yay. This is so fun. I'm so happy. I'm excited. And Suzanne did not get the memo. <laughs> uh, we are all... <laughs> We have all chosen to wear black tank tops. <laughs> it feels like it feels like there was a group text that I was left out of. I'm not gonna lie. My, the fifth grade in me is coming up, and I'm, I'm I have to remind myself I'm not in fifth grade anymore. <laughs> On the other hand, you are a style influencer, so I feel like you're yes. right in line. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank. Yeah. None of us do that. <laughs> remotely <laughs> I'll speak for myself I'm like in pajamas half the time when I'm like showing my face on Instagram I mean kind of same though like same. it's 8 a.m here so from the waist down I'm literally in yoga pants and booties so you know yeah you get the award for like earliest wake it's up Saturday morning at 8 a.m so I really yes. really like you guys <laughs> we're honored yeah um, so I thought for anyone that doesn't know all four of us, we could just do a quick introduction. Um, so Amanda, do you want to start? Yeah. So I'm Amanda White. You might know me on Instagram as Therapy for Women, and my podcast is Recovered-ish. And I also wrote a book called Not Drinking Tonight. I am a licensed therapist. And I've been on everyone's podcast. So if you haven't, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't, I mean, I feel like we've all been on it. Like yeah. mine just started, but um, yeah, you could listen to those episodes too. <laughs> I actually just recently celebrated <laughs> nine years sober. Um, That's amazing. Thank you. So I was 24 when I stopped drinking. Um, the significance also is like it was the it was like the Monday after Labor Day or the Tuesday after Labor Day that I stopped drinking because I had a particularly rough Labor Day. And the big I mean, I've had a lot of um, worse um you know, rock bottoms, I would say, but that particular one, I was a yoga teacher at the time. I woke up at 6am that Tuesday to teach yoga. I was completely drunk. I don't remember teaching yoga. And that was a really big wake up call for me because I had never done anything like that before. I was really into being like a cool yoga teacher that like went out and would like make drinking jokes in class. And the other um, ridiculous thing about it is I was actually in grad school to become a therapist. So I also worked in a rehab at the time and thought that I was so different than everyone I worked with, which was not the case. But the denial was thick. Um, and yeah, and then I, I realized that that I had a problem for sure. I knew I had had an eating disorder that I'm in recovery from. So I knew that was a problem, but the drinking I kind of justified to myself as just normal. So 
especially because I did drugs in college. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. And yeah, it, it was very scary and overwhelming. And I didn't think I had a problem. My parents didn't think I had a problem when I told them I was going to stop drinking. They told me that I was being dramatic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was nine years ago and it's been an amazing journey. And um, I was, I mean, my biggest fear when I got sober was really that I wouldn't have friends and I wouldn't be successful. And I just feel like the exact opposite is true. I found such amazing community sober and it's like a part of my <laughs> career, which is really cool. So I'm Casey um, Davidson. I host the Hello Someday podcast. I'm a life and sobriety coach. Um, I work with clients one-on-one. I have an online course. And I stopped drinking seven and a half years ago when I was 40. So I was, you know, the woman climbing the corporate ladder, drinking a bottle of wine or more <laughs> a night while having a two-year-old and an eight-year-old. Um, so that was kind of where I was. I would come home from work, pick the kids up at after-school care, walk in the door and immediately open a bottle of wine while cooking dinner and then getting the kids their baths and then sitting on the couch after they went to bed and uh, often not remembering the end of shows and um, quote unquote falling asleep on the couch and my husband couldn't wake me up and then getting up at 530 and doing it all again and wondering why my anxiety was off the chart. Um, but I, you know, stopped drinking, not thinking it was going to be forever because it would have freaked me out too much. Started with a hundred day challenge, which was hard because I could never go more than four days. So I didn't think I'd do it. And yeah, seven and a half years later, I left corporate four years ago, started coaching full time, started my podcast and then met all these incredibly cool women, which is the best part. Yay. Okay. I'm Suzanne Warei. I am an influencer at my kind of suite and I am the host of the Sober Mom Life podcast. I started as an influencer and then I stopped drinking in January, 2020. And I then became a sobriety influencer, not knowing what the hell I was doing. My drinking is a little bit different. So I was a party girl for sure, in college. And I loved it. I'm from Wisconsin. I went to school in Green Bay and it was like party central. Um, and I loved it, although I loved it and then I didn't. And then I loved it and then I didn't. Right. And then as I got as I turned 30, I got married, I had kids. I was really able to moderate alcohol with what I think we're told is is success. Um, but it didn't mean that my shame around drinking went away. It actually got worse. And so I never, ever thought like I qualified for sobriety. I just didn't think it was for me. I didn't think that I would reap any benefits. I thought it would be a cage, um, until I stopped drinking. And then the day I stopped drinking. So I had blacked out twice, um, during motherhood once was when my first was a, a brand new baby. And then fast forward six years and the second happened the night 
before I stopped drinking. And I, at some point, had to have nursed my three-month-old baby, um, but I don't remember it. And so I was laying on the couch and, like, my full life was going on around me. And I just thought, like, no, like this. I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I want to find out because I know where this leads. Like, I have tried this. And so then, yeah, I just went on a quest and actually... So it was right before, obviously, COVID and the pandemic response. And that really helped me then because I didn't have to figure out like how to be social in drinking. I just kind of was able to hibernate and really like nourish myself. And I went on this like quest to find out what alcohol is and what it did to me and what life could be like without it. Um, I have never, ever, ever looked back and I'll be, yeah, it'll be four years in January. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm Jill. I host the Sober Powered podcast where I explain the science of how alcohol is affecting our brains and why it's so hard for us to realize that we need to quit. And I was inspired to do that because I used my education and career as justification for why I was different from other people and why I didn't have to mm-hmm. quit drinking, probably similar to you guys. And even though I was drinking every day and getting really drunk multiple nights a week, I still held it all together, which meant that I was fine. And it wasn't until my mental health started getting really bad that I started addressing it and thinking that I needed a change. But I held on to this idea that someday I'd be able to figure out how to moderate, kind of like you were saying, Mm -hmm. Suzanne. And even though I had never had any experience moderating, I felt like eventually I would be able to learn how to have an off switch if I just practiced stopping once I started enough times. It was a very sophisticated (laughs) dream. And the mental health kept getting worse, which we'll probably get into later. And eventually I let it go. But when I quit, I did say forever. And I feel like that's what helped me the most. And I know that you almost never hear that. And the the advice is to do one day at a time, which I think is awesome. But I needed to say forever. So I would stop negotiating with myself Mm -hmm. and thinking, has it been long enough? Is it going to be different this time? And then I quit right before the pandemic and all the craziness. So I'll be four years sober um, in about six weeks from now. So less when everybody's listening to this. Um, but same, same with you, Suzanne, actually, I loved staying home because I didn't have to go to any more freaking happy hours. Cause I quit right before the holidays and there were so many happy hours and parties and drinking. And I used to go and cry Mm. because it was so stressful for me. And then we all got sent home and I'm like, this is awesome. I don't have to, I don't have to go to weddings that I was worrying about. I don't have to socialize with work people at the bar. So, but then it, it made it more stressful coming out Mm. of that too, with no experience. But um, my brain can't. Those are our stories. My brain can't compute that it's been four years. Me neither. I was like, I keep being like, why? That's not true. I know that all of it's like a time warp. That Mm -hmm. whole that whole period. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, and I feel like Casey and I both our podcasts were quarantine projects because we started around the same time. I love that. That's awesome. Jill, I love the idea of you and me, like we didn't know each other then. And so you're 
couple months ahead of me stopping drinking. I, so just like looking down, you know, yes. and seeing like our journeys and it's in and like completely different connect. places. Totally. Do you know, um, yeah, Tommy, that, Laura, she wrote dry humping. She's yeah. on recovery. Yeah. Our sobriety dates are like five days apart, which is New York city, different ages, yes. different stories, different support paths. It just, it's sort of interesting. Like if you're out there picturing the world, like there's another woman different from mm. you, exactly like you literally in the same place that you are. And you can connect with her like you never know where your sobriety is going to lead and who you're going to connect with. And then you'll yeah. start to tell your story and say, oh, like, holy shit, we're so similar. And I had no idea. I, you know, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. So we're here for Sober October, obviously. So the first question that I have for you guys is, did you ever do one of those? Did you ever do it? dry July, sober October, dry January. And if you did, how did it work out? And if you didn't, why did you not do it? Amanda, I'm starting with so you. I had a challenge from my therapist to not drink for 30 days in July. Um, I said I would do it. I did about two weeks because I like cut off the first half of July because I was like, it's 4th of July. It's my birthday. That doesn't count. <laughs> and then I had like friends that I was hanging out with like the last week of July and I lied and I told her that I did it, but I did, I think about 10 days. Um, so no, I didn't do it. I thought I, I, I also did it kind of, even though, again, it was only two weeks, I did it as like this way to prove that I didn't have a problem and that I could go back to her with evidence that I didn't have a problem. And a lot of it was really, I related a lot to what you were saying, Jill, about how you just thought you had to practice moderating. I really thought that too, especially because I was much more of a binge drinker. So I was like, it's only a problem when I'm binging. I'm not a daily drinker. It was very easy for me to justify. Um, and that's why I was like, I don't even need 30 days. I can do that. I've done that before, even though it'd been probably like a few years since I'd done that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would have been a good exercise for me. And in hindsight, I think if I would have allowed myself to be more honest, I could have seen that not doing it and saying I was doing it was <laughs> indicative of something. <laughs> but I really thought... I, I really thought I didn't need to and that I wasn't lying, which is, shows my mental state at the time. I kind of love that you're a therapist and you lied to your therapist because it makes oh, me better. I like lied to my therapist all the time. Like, oh, you know, oh, yeah. How about yeah. you drink eh, a couple drinks, a couple, you know, a couple nights a week? I'm like 40 drinks a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's so common and it's, yeah. it's just such a thing. I just, yeah, it's such a thing it's so hard because I think that we not only do we lie to ourselves right but we also want the therapist to feel like they're doing a good yes. job with us yes. <laughs> you're like we're not really to be proud. Gonna lie to yeah. <laughs> yeah and don't therapists know we're lying too like a lot of the times don't you kind of get it like you're like hmm I wonder if that's all the truth that they're telling <laughs> I'll give you um I'll give you a peek behind the curtain in that if your therapist keeps acting like they're confused a lot, like they keep being like, hmm, I'm confused. Tell me this again. How did you only do this 
or you said this, but now you're saying that that's typically <laughs> our way of being like, this isn't adding up. There's a big piece of the story missing. Yes. You know, we can tell by just, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. I love the peek behind the curtain. That's awesome. I know. <laughs> I, know. I want more of those. Yeah. <laughs> Amanda, when she challenged you to do those 30 days, I know you said that uh, you felt like you didn't need to do it, which I, that totally resonates with me. But were you scared of doing it? Like, did you have any anxiety about it or did you already know that you were going to kind of dance around it? I really don't think I had anxiety because I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> you had no intention. No. So I wasn't scared because I was just like, this doesn't count. Like, obviously my birthday, like my birthday's July 8th. So I was like, obviously the first 15 days of this doesn't count. And, and I really thought that my justification also was like, well, it doesn't matter when I do the 30 days. So like, she's just giving me the challenge to do it for July, but I could do it July 15th to August 15th. And that's fine. Even though I reported back to her on August 1st being like complete, <laughs> but <laughs> <don't me. laughs> so yeah, I think I was just that out of touch. We can rationalize anything. Like when you're drinking, yes. you yeah. literally can rationalize anything. Yes. Yeah. I would have said the same though, like birthdays, you got to drink <laughs> yeah. on your birthday. I mean, come on, that, that yeah. does yeah. not count. <laughs> Casey, did you ever do any of those, um, like 30 day challenges, dry month things? No, and I think like I was a new year's resolution girl, like every year I would make the exact same resolutions for like a decade. It was always like drink less slash get your drinking under control slash take a break. It was never stop drinking, uh, grow my hair out, stop biting my nails. Like for decades, it was like, <laughs> like basically become a better human being. Like that was my New Year's resolution. And I would not make it very far at all. I mean, I was, I was sort of a 365 nights a week drinker, unless I was trying to not drink consciously. So I was like, hung over on Christmas morning and New Year's Day and every job interview and, you know, all the things. So I would make the resolutions. I would write myself all the notes about like why I needed to get my life together. And then, you know how it goes, like four days, seven days later, I don't even think I ever made it two weeks. Um, I The one time I took a longer break was I did also, Amanda, like you, I went to a therapist for... I looked up, I looked him up specifically and was like, all right, he's anxiety and addiction. So I was like, awesome. I'll go in for my anxiety. He'll help me a little bit with this. And I was like, you know, my husband, my job, my life, my kids, and I drink a bottle of wine at night. And he was like, <laughs> let's talk about your drinking. And I was like, no, no, let's talk about my boss. <laughs> but he told me to stop drinking. And so I, I, you know, he was an AA guy. This was like a decade ago. He recommended I go to AA. It was kind of the only thing out there at the time. Mm -hmm. So I went, I joined an online group. I made it about four months, which was for me incredible and amazing. And then I got pregnant. And so I was like, I'm fixed. So I stopped going to all the meetings. I stopped counting. I did the slow shuffle back. And then I went 
back to drinking. So I never did. I did New Year's. I did moment of crisis, you know, go to your therapist because you seriously feel like your life is going to fall apart. And then I did the every three days, I have to stop. This is going nowhere good. This is bad cycle. So those were my, I, I never did something so exciting as like sober October, but I wish I had. Yeah, I didn't know that those were a thing, really. I feel like I was very isolated from the whole sober community. I thought that it was very shameful and that it was just a bunch of people who didn't want anyone to know and hid and went to AA anonymously. And and, that, and now it's so cool. I mean, look at look at Suzanne. Like Suzanne, when I think of cool, <laughs> I think of She's giving us hilarious. I know. Right. I was like, well, I'm not cool. Um, I did. I did do sober October and it's so funny because it was my husband's idea. And, uh, he was so proud of himself for calling it oct sober. <laughs> right. And I That's don't know. One. I don't know. <laughs> I think this was like before, like sober October got like really big. So he was like, let's do oct sober. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, we're not going to drink. And I was like, okay. And we try to go to Miraval every October. And it's so funny now looking back because my complaint in sobriety about Miraval is that there's so much alcohol there and you know we're like cleansing our auras and like god forbid you eat some honey from the store and not from the miraval bees that are on property that they <laughs> like you know like and and there's like equine therapy and like it's just like every single part of you is taken care of but then it's also like no but drink wine obviously you're obviously gonna drink wine but we're gonna tell you where it's from and all this fancy stuff and uh and I hate that now in sobriety and I really can see that. But I went there during sober act, during our act sober. Um, and I remember it was instead of I totally did the thing of focusing on why aren't we drinking and like why? See, like I'm not even going to have a glass of wine at Miraval. How how could that be? And I just I remember that being like a sticking point and feeling like I was missing out and really focusing on not drinking rather than, you know, what, what else can we experience when we're not drinking? And I made it, I think it was 28 days. Um, and I drank because I met my mom in Madison to see Anne Lamott speak and we love her. And we drank a lot of red wine. And I remember thinking, like, oh, God, not really that I didn't make it the month, um, but that I had like fuzzy memories then of Anne Lamott. And she's and sober. Like, oh like that's, right, that's, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's her whole You're deal. Like, I'm going to drink Anne Lamott and let me drink and shitload of wine. Yes. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and like we drank beforehand, like, like, and not like a crazy amount, right? But, but when I wasn't drinking that whole month, then I had, even if it was like three glasses of wine, I mean, I was like, you know, it was fuzzy. Yes. Yeah. And now I'm like, no, I've seen Anne Lamott talk but like it's very fuzzy and that to me felt very sad so I remember waking up the next morning being like oh shit I I didn't connect it I still I still did not connect it like 
sobriety is an option. I just connected it like I have to drink in a more orderly fashion. Yeah. <laughs> like, obviously, I just I, I haven't figured this out yet. And I will mm -hmm. continue to try. <laughs> orderly fashion. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. Drink like a lady. Right. <laughs> right. Like, obviously, everyone else knows the rules. And I just don't. Yeah. Oh, my God. One of my best I, friends, her mom, um, her little sister, like, came home just drunk as a skunk and you know denial is lovely especially in some families and she was like oh, she was over served <laughs> like it happened to her right, right. right. she wasn't a participant <laughs> all the time it was crazy <laughs> like I was always over served <laughs> I don't know who was serving me right. even at home I was over served <laughs> even when I was by myself Jesus right <laughs> Jill what about Such you a euphemism <laughs> yeah uh, so I never did a dry month. Um, I actually had a friend ask me if I would do dry January with her because she was also struggling and she wanted to be accountability buddies. And I was horrified at that <laughs> request. <laughs> And I still feel bad about it. I told her no. And I don't think she did it because she didn't want to do it alone. So I totally ruined her opportunity to do 30 days. And I just couldn't imagine not drinking for a month. I was like, why would anyone want to do that? How is that helpful? <laughs> I'm trying to moderate yeah. here. Like, why would not drinking be helpful in that? Um, but like Amanda said, I also received a challenge from a therapist, but it was for seven days. And while you were talking, I was thinking like, did she try to challenge me to a month and then we changed it? But I can't remember. But we did seven days. So it was basically like, don't drink for a week and then we'll come back next week and talk about it. And this was like, two and a half years before I quit for good. So this was my very first dabble. And I th thought like, okay, I can do seven days, not because I'm interested, but because if I do the seven days, then it means I'm not an alcoholic. So I'm, I'm okay to prove that point. And I actually had a good time not doing it for seven days. Like I found other things to do. And when I went back and told her I did not drink, I'm proud of myself. It wasn't even that hard. <laughs> and we both agreed that oh. I'm not an alcoholic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, she, she told me, I don't think you're an alcoholic. And then in my mind, I'm like, yeah. Great. if the professional doesn't think I'm an alcoholic, mm -hmm. then I'm good then I must not be and I'll be able to figure it out. And then I was just like, okay. Being like, <laughs> oh, you feel so good. Why don't you do another one? Right, right. You're like, Absolutely. can I get that in writing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I just needed that little mm -hmm. permission. And then I continued about my business for a while. I would not take another break uh, for like two years, almost like a little bit less than two years until I felt like I had to take a break because the suffering was so intense. But that little permission from her let me just go and go and go. And 
So I, I also think it's sad that you guys lied to your therapist, Amanda and Casey, because that's like my whole argument. I tell people that therapy is good accountability because you don't want to lie to them. It is. <laughs> it is good. So I personally found that therapy and Amanda, I am not the expert. Like once I stopped drinking, Therapy was hugely, hugely helpful mm. for me. What I think it was, I mean, I also think it was helpful when I was drinking, but I just didn't want my therapist to know how much I was drinking because I didn't want her to tell me to stop. So I minimized that and was like, oh, I have insomnia and my stress is off the charts. And we went around and around about like anxiety. <laughs> and I don't know why it's not getting better. But once I stopped drinking, I was really able to like take advantage mm -hmm. of therapy and get honest and find solutions. So that's I, I love therapy, too. <laughs> I obviously love therapy, too, as a therapist and as someone who still goes to therapy. I think it's interesting. I think there are people that can fall into patterns early in the like creation of the bond with a therapist where they want to present themselves as this way. Mm. And then it becomes this like trap that is hard to get out of. Yeah. So my recommendation is to start by calling yourself out early. Or if you struggle to be honest with a therapist, one of the best things you can do is say like, this is my pattern. I've done this before. Ooh. Just so yeah. then the therapist has some wiggle room to kind of, you know, hold the mirror up a little bit. Um, that was what really helped for me was I had to be like, look, I'm lying a lot. I'm so afraid of being judged, you know, all of that stuff. And once the seal kind of breaks and you can like talk about what's happening in the therapy room or what's holding you back from being honest, um, that's when like really deep work can happen with that. But it, it's hard. That's great I advice. I once asked, yeah, I once asked my therapist to give me a grade. <laughs> like, how, like, how am I doing? So would you give me like an A in therapy or am I more of like a B client? Like, I, it's, it's a thing like when you want your therapist to like you, yeah. especially if you like and respect your therapist. And like even in couples counseling, I would be like, so like, how do you couples that you're <laughs> right. right. I'm like, so what do you think? How, how, you know, like if you had to tell us, like if you had to judge us on how we're he's like, that's not I'm not doing that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but do you like us? That's really what I'm asking. Like, do you like us? Oh my God. Yes. So what yes. grade did you get? I did not. I did not get a grade. And I'm really, I still want to go back and ask. Like, I'm like, can I just get a report card, please? So I know where I stand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I struggled a lot with wanting therapists to like mm -hmm. me too. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, Amanda, and that the therapist that challenged me to the one week, that was actually my first appointment. Mm. Oh, wow. And I think Exactly what you said is it's easier if you just start with all of the stuff, because once you build that relationship, you're going to worry about them not liking mm -hmm. you anymore with what you have to say. 
So I just like, I'm worried I'm an alcoholic. Can we talk about it? How do you know? I was looking for her to basically tell me whether yeah. I was or not. And unfortunately she said I wasn't, but yeah. I think opening up with it in the beginning is so helpful. I struggled with that with um, my current therapist and my shameful drinking memories. Mm. I didn't want to tell her the worst ones because I was afraid it would change her opinion Mm. of me. And I struggled for a really long time to tell the stories to her. And I don't, I mean, they're probably not going to tell you what their opinion of you (laughs) is. I don't think that therapists are very judgmental, even though we worry that Mm. they will judge us. And it's always so much better to when you leave and you, you feel that relief that you said what you needed to say. Absolutely. I mean, the best thing that my therapist at the time had told me, it's such a funny story because I was telling her that I was really nervous about her judging me. She was in recovery and it like really inspired me to become a therapist and be open about being in recovery. And she was like, Amanda, I used to do crack. There's nothing you can say. That make me judge you. You're like, you're like, you're like, you're my therapist. You're you're hired. (laughs) I do think that that's one of the reasons that that it actually helps with coaching that, you know, people have worked with me and they've been like, oh, I basically know you. And I'm like, oh, you do. You literally know Mm -hmm. everything about me. But then they're like, oh, but I know you won't judge me because you get it, which Mm -hmm. I do. You know, I get it. And also hearing someone's most shameful moments. I think like I I hear this in our groups all the time. And like when someone tells me like what they're most ashamed of in their drinking past, like that you have to be an asshole to judge them. Like like that just to me bonds us so much closer. And like I fall more in love with all of these women who are just so brave and vulnerable and like just showing up and being like, yeah, I talking about our shame, you know, and that I think is, is where the connection and sobriety is. I feel the same way, Suzanne. That's why we just talk about all the hard stuff. (laughs) So we've mentioned this kind of off and on that we had a lot of denial and that even though we had breaks, it still didn't get through the barrier of that we needed to stop drinking entirely. Amanda, what do you think like the biggest block for you was to realizing that your drinking needed to go? Um, I was young when I was questioning it. So I really think my age was the biggest barrier. I was like, I just turned 24. I was all my, you know, I had friends who I like lived in the city. I had friends who had just graduated from college. I really had felt like I had such a miserable college experience because I was super in the depths of my eating disorder. I was like addicted to Adderall. Um, I left college really without any friends. I like destroyed all my relationships with my friends. So when my eating disorder got better and I got into recovery from it after college, I really felt like I deserved to live it up and like recreate my college experience in my twenties. Like I literally thought I deserved that. Um, So that was a huge thing for me because I was just like, I have the rest of my life to figure this out. I don't, you know, I don't drink every day. It's not really that much of a problem. I know, you know, other things are a problem of mine, but can't I just live a little? Can't I just have this vice? 
Um, and it wasn't until I, when I taught yoga drunk that morning, I was hit with this very big realization that, cause I had known, like, if I want to be a therapist, I can't have like an active eating disorder. So I was like clear about that. And then when I did that, that was so out of character for me. I didn't remember. I had this pretty big epiphany of like, oh my gosh, if I keep doing this, I'm going to be like a drunk therapist. Like this is not going to work. Um, so that was like the big kind of epiphany for me that I think I was able to listen to because I had already been doing some of the like work with the eating disorder and had and like really wanted to be like it was really important for me based on you know the that I said that therapist I had she was in recovery and I really once I kind of saw that I had a problem I like couldn't unsee it and I was like I don't think I can be a therapist and still drink and and stuff so I didn't know whether I would stop drinking forever I didn't know what that would look like um but yeah I would say my age and just my experience with that yeah yeah I think that's a big barrier for a lot of people when they're in their 20s they feel like what you said both that you're supposed to do it and that you have time I think that we hear about a lot of people growing out of it in their early 20s towards their late 20s so there's always the hope that maybe you'll grow out of it someday absolutely (laughs) I think that's something my husband even said to me you know I was like well you knew who you married right like Mm. kind of like you you got what you got into we just celebrated yesterday 21 years of marriage so we have been together a long time that's amazing yeah yeah um yeah we got together when we were like 22 23 and he was like I kind of thought you'd grow out of it. Literally said that to me. I was like, oh, well, nope. (laughs) Um, I think what, what held me back most in the beginning was being like a red wine girl was so much part of my identity. Um, It like I would introduce myself. I mean, not literally, but pretty close. Like I live in Seattle. I work in digital marketing. I'm married. I have two kids. I'm a red wine girl. I went to college in Maine. Like that was equal to the other parts (laughs) of me. Um, And so it was just, I bought into all the limiting beliefs that, you know, we've been conditioned to believe. So I thought that I would never have fun. If I didn't drink, I thought that I would be miserable. I thought that, um, I would just, I didn't think I'd lose my friends, but I thought when I hung out with them, it would suck. Um, I thought that like somehow it would hurt my job. Like if I stopped drinking that, people would see that I stopped drinking and then think I'm either not cool or they don't want to hang out with me or that I have a problem and therefore I wouldn't get promoted, which is hysterical. Cause I was like going out to dinner with colleagues and like tripping and skinning my knee on the way home or like waking up brutally hungover, like, or like sharing shit and bitching about like the VP. So I'm like, Oh my God, if I stop drinking, that's going to be career suicide. 
Um, and my husband, I thought that, you know, he never wanted me to stop drinking. He wanted me to, what was it? Drink in an orderly fashion. See that? That was, he wanted that. He wanted me to drink in Italy and on a date night, but not Mm -hmm. pass out on the couch, which is so adorable. Yeah. So (laughs) I just like, I did not know who I was going to be. Like it was so much a part of me that I was like, it was, it was like a metaphor for being fun, despite being a job, being a mom, you know, that it's so funny that the fallacy that we were like, no, if I, if I stop drinking, I'm not going to get promoted. <laughs> I was like, well, um, I think so. My barrier was always, I just did not think I was qualified. I, I, I thought that I didn't. I thought that I hadn't lost enough to kind of have it make sense that I would stop drinking. I thought that I, you know, I, I didn't get a DUI. I, I did. I, my marriage was happy. My kids were happy. I, there was no like outside like wreckage that was like a flashing red light to say, yeah, like this, this. So yeah, from the outside, it it looked like I, I just I I just thought and now it sounds insane from where I sit, but I thought that it wasn't for me. And I also really did think that I had to go to AA. Like I thought that that was the only option. I didn't know this other world existed. I, I didn't know. I just didn't know. And so I imagined you know, because I wasn't a daily drinker, because I didn't think about alcohol all the time, because I could, I I could go weeks or months, you know, without drinking. But it was kind of like Amanda, like, then it would be a binge kind of more than uh, it just wasn't a part of my daily life. And so then I thought that I would be like more tied to alcohol if I were to stop drinking it. And I thought that then I would have to like declare myself powerless all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't feel powerless all the time, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It just, I, it was all twisted in my, in my head. And and I've only come to realize that that's very common, I think, with women who are, you know, who, who have what would seem like success moderating or success drinking in an orderly fashion. But I didn't, I just didn't know that I could like completely be free of it and still like reap the benefits of sobriety. So it wasn't just that I wouldn't drink alcohol, but like I would live this like full sober life. I, I had no idea. From over here, it seems like you're saying that you thought giving it up would make you more chained to alcohol. Yes. Yes. Like it would be like, I remember feeling so bad for people who didn't drink because I thought that they were constantly white knuckling and Mm -hmm. and in a constant kind of battle against it. And I thought about how hard that would be since it's everywhere. Right. And I was like, God, I feel so bad for them. They must really be in this like daily struggle not to drink. And so then that just wasn't me. And I didn't want that to be me. Um, But I didn't realize that I was in a daily struggle thinking about alcohol and how to have it 
be in my life without being in my life too much, but being in my life just when I want it and not not overstep its bounds and all of the mental games that we play when we try to moderate. And so, yeah, I thought I thought it was I thought it would be a cage. So you thought everybody was just like you then, like they had the same experience with alcohol as you did. No, I thought I thought that the people who stopped drinking were like Nicolas Cage or Meg Ryan, right? Like I thought like it was like, oh, obviously, obviously they have a problem with alcohol, right? That's not me. And so if that's not me, then there's nothing to see here. What Mm -hmm. I didn't know is that alcohol is just a problem. Like alcohol is just a a problem. And so... Nothing to see here. Yeah. That was so cute. Yeah. And so I I thought that there were like two categories of people, Mm -hmm. like alcoholics and the ones that it was very clear, like, of course, you need to stop drinking alcohol. And then people who don't have to stop drinking alcohol. I didn't know that I could stop drinking alcohol. I love that that's changing. I really do feel Mm -hmm. like it is. Yeah, I do. I feel like it's. Yeah, we're catching, we're catching women. I, I I think it's majority women who probably feel this way. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm not a guy and I talk with women all the day, all all day every day. But I think that we're catching women before they get to that point because you could you could wait, right? Like you could wait until you lose more. Yeah. Like I guess it's just how much are you willing to lose? I was really similar to you, Suzanne, where I thought that there were two categories, alcoholics and regular people. Mm -hmm. And if it and the alcoholics, it was obvious, like you said. Um, But I think the difference for me was that I thought if I did quit, it meant I was one of those really bad alcoholics and that alcoholics didn't have, um, I'm just going to say it the way that I used to think it. (laughs) I I thought that it was purely a choice and a weakness and something that only happened to losers and people let it happen to them because they weren't strong enough. And if I had to stop drinking, it meant that that was all me. And I didn't want any of that. I didn't want people to think that I was weak, that I can't control myself. So now I can never drink ever again, that I must be a loser, all of these things. And I fought so hard to moderate so that that didn't have to become my identity. Like Casey, you were talking about your identity of being a red wine girl, but I thought quitting meant I would take on this whole alcoholic stereotype identity and then everyone would associate that with me forever. So I didn't know that there were people, I mean, first of all, that's not very many people (laughs) in that category. And they're also not losers who let it happen (laughs) to them um, or weak, but I was really convinced of that. So I fought really hard to not let that become me. And eventually I just had to give in. But that was my biggest block was uh, the stereotype and taking on that identity of what society thinks an alcoholic and what is. What I love now is that I feel like I truly believe and more people are believing that like 
people who quit drinking are just badasses. Like yes. they're just gotten out of the Amen. trap and the, you know, the marketing and the addictive substance that we've been told that we're supposed to somehow keep in our lives. And like, you know, that's a yeah. pretty badass health and wellness choice. Yeah. Like we left the cult. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we, we are free from the cult. We're like Leah Remini. <laughs> Free and drinking is like Scientology. <laughs> it took me a second to figure out who you were talking about. I was like, okay. what, what was that? I'm all about. Yeah. I'm all about 90s or early aughts pop culture. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you guys think helped you the most when you first started? Like if you if you had to reflect back, some of you have to reflect back further <laughs> than others. Yeah. But Amanda, if you have to look back all the way uh, into your first yeah. month, what do you think made the biggest difference for you? The biggest difference for me was community. It was so paramount to me, especially because I was young. So I, I mean, back then, like Instagram was so young. There wasn't like, I don't even know if there were hashtags on Instagram. Um, but I did have friends that were in AA and I didn't know whether I thought I was an alcoholic or not, but I was just like, I'm going to stop drinking and I'm going to go to meetings because this is where people are. And I'm just going to like follow <laughs> these people around and like make it my social life. And that's like what I did. I like had one friend and then I was just like, what meeting are you going to? Where are you going to be? You know, she like worked at a recovery house. So I just like hung out at the recovery house with her and was just like there to kind of fill up my time. Um, and that was so like, I would not have gotten sober if I wouldn't have had, if I wouldn't have known people my age ish who were doing it because I would have felt so isolated. I think just like sitting by myself. And the big thing for me, especially because I think there could have been a time where maybe I, I stopped drinking for six months or so. And I think because I was able to, cause I had had the experience of losing so much, like during college and like losing friends. And I was on that track already after graduating, um, because of my drinking, it led me to be like, Oh, I actually need to stay sober so I can keep these people in my life, which wasn't like authentic at first, but it was like what I needed to kind of be like, okay, well, so when I was like questioning it, or I was like, maybe I don't need this. It led me to come back to, well, like this is, this is now I have like friends. Now I have people and I want to keep coming to these meetings. I want to keep spending time with these people. I love that. That's really nice. And thinking about that you want to keep them as friends and that if you go back, I, I like that. I never thought of it that way. Thank yeah. You. I mean, it's really cool and interesting, like just how, I mean, I met a lot of my best friends all in the program. Like there's like a group of us. We're still all like best friends. Like my maid of honor was the first person I called when I was like freaking out about whether I, I was, you know, that day <laughs> after Labor Day and stuff. Um, so we're still really close and we all still don't drink, you know, not all of us stayed in the program necessarily. Um, but yeah, it's really cool because the longer also you stay sober, especially when you see young people, a lot of people come in and out, people die, like people don't make it, you know, and people definitely relapse. So it's like pretty miraculous that so many of my friends, we all have around like the same amount of time. We all came in around similar times and we've all stayed friends. Casey, what do you think helped you the most in your first yeah, month? Yeah, I mean, 
I needed someone to hold my hand. I needed like a reason to draw a line in the sand and just stop rationalizing. Um, should I, shouldn't I drink? Is it a big deal? Should I start on Monday? And I needed someone to like, you know, like horses have blinders on just like keep me really, really focused. So I had been, I had been a member of online Facebook groups of people quitting drinking for a very long time. You know, when I was drinking, I would go silent. I would occasionally pop up and be like, all right, I'm doing this. And then go (laughs) silent again. Um, And I tried AA like three years before for a while, but what, you know, I had plenty of lows that I should have, you know, um, should have been that moment that weren't, I don't know, throwing up on myself. That could have been one, but nope. (laughs) Um, You know, so um, basically I woke up at 3 a.m. one day. I was on the same Facebook group I'd been on for like three years. Someone was posting about day one again. Someone in the comments recommended a sober coach. And I just went into work that day at 10 a.m. and signed up. Um, that was my last day one, which is crazy. Um, but, and that night I wanted to drink and four days later I wanted to drink. And 16 days later, I was like in tears, so angry that I wanted to drink, but I'm also a gold star girl. Like you, Suzanne, like I am a people pleaser. I want that a, so I was like, I'm going to be the best freaking sober coaching client ever. I'm not going to like call her and tell her that I drank. Like I, I needed that external accountability. I needed her to get, you know, on my first call, I was like, here's what I'm worried about. I'm going to Venice with my family, like Italy. I'm a red wine girl. And she's like, all right, all right. When is that? I'm like four months from now. Yeah. (laughs) And she was like, all right, let's talk in three and a half months. (laughs) Um, But I needed that. Um, But once I got going, I did meet some of my very, very best friends Um, in online Facebook groups. We all have sort of like we're sober litter mates. Our dates are right around the same time. And once they became very important in my life, I did think, if I go back to drinking, I'm going to lose these friendships. And it might not have been them. It probably would have been me like pulling away and being like, I don't deserve to be friends with them or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think women who've quit drinking are like the coolest and so funny and so real. And, um, yeah, that was also a big motivator as I kept going. I love sober litter mates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like the cutest. Like you guys are all cute. like litter mates. <laughs> yeah, that's so cute. Also, the idea of the what ifs, like the Italy trip, like that's coming and stuff. I have like so many women in my group are like, well, what if like, you know, what if I can't drink when I go to Italy, Italy or like for my daughter's wedding? And I'm like, well, when is she getting married? Yeah. And, she, and they're like she's two (laughs) okay (laughs) like we got time we're fine um I so when I quit I it was like right before the pandemic so community was kind of out of the question I didn't even know about any sort of online community I would say now that is what helps me the most but right away I dove into every Quitlet uh, podcast. I mean, everything. I remember getting to a point that I was like, there are no more Quitlet 
Splitlet books. Like how are the, how have I reached the end? And by women, like Amanda, yours, like, like, I had reached the end of the line of Quitlet and I was like, can we get more Quitlet books? Because this is what's helping me. And like, I just, I really did. I mean, all day, every day. So I had, I had a three month old, I had a two year old and I had a five year old and we were in the pandemic. And so it was just me. My husband was still working. And so I was also going crazy. And in order not to go crazy, I had one AirPod in like, all day long. And I was listening to all Quitlet. And yes, when I was like playing with my kids and I use that very loosely because I hate to play with my kids. Um, like let's normalize moms not playing. Because I'm like, yeah. Uh, yep. Oh my God. Like Barbies or, oh my God. And then I always do it wrong. And whatever. <laughs> well, and they're um, so micromanaging. I'm like, what oh my the God, they're so controlling. And I'm like, then you do it. I don't even want to be doing this. But like arts and crafts, I'll do you know like we'll go for bike rides and stuff but I am not playing um so I would just be I would be listening it was a lifeline and I, like when I quit I didn't know anything about alcohol I didn't I, I was I'm a gen x girl so I grew up this is your brain on drugs like and that's mm -hmm. the fried egg like I thought alcohol was fine I didn't know anything about it and so then yeah that was like my that was my quest. And my favorite, favorite part of the day was when I could, after dinner, after we all ate, my husband would take the kids upstairs and get them ready for bed. And I would clean our kitchen and like cleaning our kitchen and listening to, you know, podcast or quit lit like was my it was like my sanctuary. And it was my time that I could like really like closing up our kitchen for the night felt very like nourishing to me and my family. It was like, it felt really good because I knew that when I got up in the morning, like my coffee would, I would just have to push a button and like, it would be all ready and there would be no debris from the day before. Like it would be a very fresh start. And so it felt really good to me to do that. Um, yeah. And that just became, I still do it. I, I still do that. That's like my time. Um, and I still listen to a lot of stuff. I, I Now I go back to true crime, too, yeah. <laughs> because there's nothing like a good murder. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I want to hear, Suzanne, what your favorite Quitlet book was from early, early oh sobriety. My God. So I really liked... Of course, I liked Amanda's. We've already talked about oh, that. I, love I really your did. I, I, so good. Yes, yes, I love. Not I drinking love tonight. You guys not should drinking tonight by Amanda E. White. <laughs> we'll get no, the show notes. We're not just saying that. It's really, really no, good. no. It's oh, it's amazing. Um, I really loved. I mean, of course, I loved Quit Like a Woman and We Are the Luckiest, but I really loved Blackout mm. by Sarah Heppel. Me too. Like, yeah, okay, it is on my list. If anyone hears this, I want to interview Sarah Heppel yes. on my podcast. So if anybody oh. knows her, I have one contact yes. who I think knows her. But oh, good. Um, you know, have you right reached on, out on Instagram? Is she on Instagram? No, but I need to because that book was yeah, huge you in early. That's how I, yes, yes. It's, it's, I, I'm just I, putting it out in the universe. Okay, moving on. Okay, I love Blackout. Manifest, manifest. <laughs> I love it. Um, that one was really, it was, it's just, 
beautifully written and the imagery and, and blackouts as I was a blackout drinker in college. And so I really like she really got to the heart of what it feels like to blackout and really taught me about blackouts and that people just kind of are blackout drinkers or you're not like the biology in it and uh -huh. stuff. And so, um, yeah, I loved that one. Good. All right, Jill, what helped you? I was like Suzanne, where I just started devouring everything, reading all the books, listening to all the podcasts. Um, the podcast that helped me the most was Craig Beck's show, The Happy Sober Podcast. He also wrote Alcohol Lied mm -hmm. to Me. I'll manifest it too. I've tried to get him on <laughs> manifest sober it. powered and he doesn't, he has not responded to me. Anyone knows Craig Beck? Over the past yeah, that's right. Jill. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> Please. Um, but he helped me the most in the beginning and I really isolated myself. I didn't know that there was very much community beyond uh, Facebook. But what I did was I just started learning about it. Like I said before, I, I thought that I would be taking on this identity of a weak world loser with no self-control. So I wanted to understand, is that true or is something else going on? So I just started educating myself and reading about why this happened to me. And I learned like, I think one of the first things I learned is why I woke up at 3am with anxiety. Uh. And then it was like, wow, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't just me. And the more I learned, the more it helped me let go of that identity and, and feel better about sobriety. And like, it wasn't this life sentence of doom that meant everyone was going to judge me and not invite me to things. Um, and yeah, so I think understanding why this happened and why I drank the way I did is what helped me the most. And if you guys could think about one like quick little nugget of advice for anyone listening who is they're wanting to start Sober October, but maybe they're nervous about it or they're excited about it. I feel like there's two different reactions that can happen when you think about it. Um, Amanda, what would you say to someone who's getting started right now? I would say regardless of which camp you're in, treat it like an experiment and just really come from curiosity rather than shame or judgment. Like it's just data collection. And you can learn a lot about yourself. Maybe you will go back to drinking. Maybe you won't. Um, but I think too many people come at it like a challenge, like white knuckling that we've kind of all talked about rather than being open to like, this is a really interesting experiment that can show you a lot about yourself and your relationship with alcohol. Casey, what would you say to someone who's getting yeah, I started? I love what Amanda said because I love the idea of curiosity and noticing and noticing the good and the bad. Like you were saying, Jill, you were like, oh, yeah, it wasn't even that hard. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to go back to drinking. Um, <laughs> my biggest piece of advice, because there is, quote unquote, sober October and it is a thing like tell everybody. Mm. I mean, people mm. always talk about they're like, I'm training for a 10k, like, you know, I'm, you know, got a new Peloton, whatever it is, like, be like, I'm doing sober October, I'm doing 30 days with no alcohol, tell your workout friends, your work friends, your best friends, your spouse, no shame, just be like, yeah, I'm doing a health challenge. That accountability is huge. Mm hmm. 
Yes, I think all, both of those are amazing. Also, I, I would try to avoid the countdown trap mm. because I think then you really are missing um, uh, you're kind of missing the point, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're spending Sober October counting down to when you quote unquote can drink again, I think that you're really allowing alcohol into Sober October and it's kind of living in the shadow of alcohol. And, and that's it. It's, you're, you're missing the magic. I always say like, and, and I think 30 day challenges are great and any, break you give your mind and your body from alcohol is amazing but I, I think that it can be like I'm a runner and so these 30-day challenges are kind of like the first mile of any uh. race and like the first mile if you're a runner you know that it doesn't matter if I'm running three miles or if I'm running a marathon that first mile everything in me is is saying stop this sucks you don't have to do it this is horrible this is why are you doing this um it, it's just you have to get into your stride and you have to get used to it and so sometimes I consider those 30-day challenges like you're doing the first mile over and over and over again and mm. you never get to see the glory and like when those endorphins kick in in a run when you feel like oh, I could run forever mm. like that's why we run I would never want to run one mile over and over and over again. I love that, Suzanne. That was really nice. I don't yeah. run, so I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I, well, I think because when you think about like the mile challenge in like school, you know, like mm -hmm. we used to have that. I'm like, oh, I hate it. I skipped course. that. That is like, <laughs> that's that's a way to make a whole generation hate running because mm -hmm. that is the, the mile is the worst. In field hockey, we used to have to do the time mile like every yes. single week. And I kept going to my coach like, why do we need? To compete she was like get out because <laughs> oh, I was always like, like way in the back yes the fr I, I hate the first mile of every single run <laughs> and I think it could be like the first because I'm not a runner but I really love to work out and to me like the other right is like it's the first 10 minutes of a workout yes, yes, like whenever I'm yes. trying like I, I always want to stop. I always say to myself, okay, do 10 minutes. And then if you hate it, you can stop. But yes. I don't really ever do that because you get into it by then. Totally. Yeah. Your brain catches up and your body starts like you work out the kinks and you start to feel comfortable. And then you're like, oh, okay, I'm not yeah. crazy for doing this. Yeah. I will add, you guys kind of covered what I was thinking, <laughs> um, but I will also add change up what you mm. do. I think that a lot of people, we quit drinking and we try to just not drink, but then we end up sitting around watching TV every night in the same seat that we used mm. to drink in. Or if our spouses or friends or family members drink, mm -hmm. we sit around and watch yeah. them drink all weekend. Um, that's going to be very triggering and that's going to make you feel FOMO and it's going to make you feel like sobriety's mm -hmm. boring. So I would encourage you to change your routine. In my very first month, I stopped watching TV completely and I didn't go in my living room mm -hmm. at all because I used to just sit there and get drunk every night. So just go somewhere else, sit in a different room in your house and watch Netflix on your computer if you have to, but change up your routine. Don't feel like removing alcohol is the only mm -hmm. thing that should be changing in the month of sober October or, um, 
um, Oxo. Oxo. <laughs> cool I know you're into like um, 90s things. So Lindsay oh, yeah. Lohan movie, like I'm not sure Socktober is going to be a thing. Like you might yeah. need to stop. Trying to Fetch isn't it? Yeah. Fetch is yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. I'll stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> this was amazing ladies so thank you so much um this was really fun to yeah. to record this all together amanda if we would love to connect with your work and learn more about you where can we do so that you can follow me on instagram or tiktok at therapy for women um you can find my podcast it's called recovered ish or if you're interested in therapy, my practice is called uh, Therapy for Women's Center. And um, you can find us at therapyforwomencenter.com. And you have an amazing book. I do. I do. <laughs> I, uh, you can find all this on my website, too, which is amandaewhite.com. But I have a book called Not Drinking Tonight. And I also have a workbook companion for it, which are independent of each other uh, by the same name. Very cool. Thank you, Amanda. Casey, where can we learn more yeah, about your work? Yeah, the best place to find me is my website, hellosomedaycoaching.com. Um, there I've got a free 30-day guide, so 30 tips for your first month alcohol-free, and a free hour-long masterclass on secrets to quitting drinking, even if you've tried and failed before. Um, you can also find me wherever you listen to podcasts at uh, hellosomedaypodcast.com. Sir, or whatever. Hello, Sunday podcast. <laughs> anyway, and I follow Amanda and Suzanne and Jill on Instagram and get tons of inspiration from them. Thank you, Casey. Suzanne, where can we connect with so you? The best place is mykindofsweet.com. That was my like OG uh, influencer and I still have it. Also, my kind of sweet Instagram is where I share my full sober life. So you'll see everything there. And then the Sober Mom Life podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We also have a membership called the Sober Mom Life Cafe, um, where you get to connect with just the loveliest women on the internet who are all examining their relationship with alcohol and finding freedom and sobriety. And we would love to have you. Thank you, Suzanne. And if you want to connect with me, uh, my podcast is Sober Powered. That's where my best stuff is. And my website, SoberPowered.com is kind of the hub. You can find all my resources on there, join my community, learn more about the brain and stuff like that. And thank you guys again for doing this. I really appreciate you showing up on a Saturday in your black tank tops. <laughs> oh, next time, next time, I'll, I'll get the memo. <laughs> oh, so thank fun. you, Jill. Yeah, this yeah. was awesome. Thanks, Super guys. fun. And now I'm yeah, going back so to bed. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you in our own respective podcasts <laughs> in the future. <laughs>
Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.